It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one. Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March 3rd, 2011 is on the air tonight. Thank you for being a part of it. This is a live interactive program in which you can join in the discussion. The number to call is toll-free, 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. And you can also participate in our chat room, which is to the right of your video feed, if you're watching us from thevirtualbiblestudy.com. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. As you were just saying, we look forward to our listeners participating. We think it makes our program the best when we get listener participation. You're not obligated to agree with us. Uh, we hope you do, because we hope we're all uh, honing in on the truths of God's Word and that we are understanding accurately what God's Word says. We hope we can agree on that. But if you disagree, we, we allow disagree uh, disagreement as well. And we do, and we appreciate uh, that. If you do disagree, if you'll share your thoughts with us. And this program tonight lends itself to listener interaction, maybe more than other uh, programs. Right, Jacob. Uh, what we're going to do tonight, we do it fairly regularly, we just are going to have an open forum in which we bring up some questions that we've been saving uh, that have come in by email. Different listeners will send in a a request for a discussion on a given topic. Sometimes those requests suggest something we can spend a whole program on. Uh, Other times, maybe they're shorter questions or the answers to them are shorter anyway, and so we try to kind of pack several of those together and have a, a, an open forum session like we planned tonight. All right, and so it is an open forum, and the benefit of an open forum is you can sneak your question in, too. Uh, we have four questions that we want to talk about tonight. We may be a little bit light, though. We may confuse another question or two. So. Yeah, yeah, so we'll be, if, if, you, if you think, of, what would be neat is if you think of something that's associated or related to one of the things we're talking about, by all means, uh, but feel free to But it doesn't have to be. If it's Bible-related, we'll, yeah. we'll take it. All right. Here's the questions that we picked out of our stack of stuff. We've got, we've got a stack that, of questions that come in i tried to pick some that a couple i picked out four and two of each of yeah, uh, kind of I relate to each other mm-hmm. the first one is from a listener eric who asked for suggestions Eric's up north isn't he yeah In minnesota i think maybe that's right uh he asked for suggestions on getting ready for marriage and the kind of difficulties that uh one might should be aware of. He said specifically, do a study relating to someone who's getting ready to get married. I myself am in a serious relationship and would love to hear some thoughts on getting ready for marriage and difficulties that people should be aware of. Good, good question. That's a, that's a, a good well, question. That could have been a whole hour. Yeah, and that's an important discussion for sure. So we want to look at that. Then uh, our friend Preston in Florida has asked He's about, actually in Georgia tonight. Oh, he's in Georgia. Yeah, we're going to hear from right. Preston in a little yeah, while. Yeah, Preston's going to call in and kind of explain his question to us. We, uh, we want to talk about what he had in mind. He, he basically asked the question, in picking the right, right mate, could a person pray and sort of set up a sign with God? You know, 
if this and this happens, then I'll know she's the one. Or if he says this at that time, I'll know he's the one. Okay. You know, could, could, would that be appropriate? Uh, what do you think about and I think that? His question is more general. Just in fact, just asking for signs in your prayer. He wants yeah. to know, can, can we ask for signs? So yeah. You may have some thoughts about that. We'd like to hear them. Yeah. That'll be our second question. And Preston's going to call in and talk with us about that. Then uh, a listener named David asked, is there a difference between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God? I thought that was kind of interesting. And I don't know if I'd ever, ever really thought about it before. Right. So uh, we we ask for your help on that. I've got an idea, but uh, I'd be glad to hear what you're thinking. Is there a difference between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God? And then a listener, Vaughn, wants to hear a discussion about the rapture. He he has been in conversation with a friend who very much believes in the rapture and associated things. And so, and, and I've studied even recently with, with some who are into that, who have been indoctrinated with that. It's very prevalent view in the religious world today. Most denominations teach the rapture and associated things, and so we'll try to talk about that. All right. We look forward to your answers to those questions. You know, these questions are asked by our listeners because they want to get answers for them. Uh, they're, they're serious questions. They're not just throwing them out there just for fun. And so if you could provide some answers tonight, uh, that would be beneficial to the listeners who've asked the questions, but also to other listeners who have, may have similar questions. So we look forward to your participation on the program tonight. Again, it's toll-free to call, 877-381-4567. The email address is questions at collegeview.com, and the chat room is open to the right of your view, uh, viewing window there at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you're not signed in, the chat room, the instructions how to do that are at the bottom of the chat room. No Personal information is required. You can just give yourself a nickname. You can put your real name in there, and you're ready to chat with other listeners tonight. Yeah. John starts us off on the first question about getting ready for marriage and difficulties that people should be aware of. He starts out by quoting Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. It's a good for a man not to touch a woman. Well, you know, John is feeling pretty brave tonight because I've been watching some of the chatter in the chat room. John's wife is not in town. Yeah, so he can say it. She's probably not online, and so he can say that yeah, without yeah, fear of reprisals. He's feeling pretty bold, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, you know, it was pointed out to me a, a, a long time ago that this really depicts the difference in our time and the time Paul was living in. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul goes on to talk about the present distress. Right. They were under severe persecutions, and under those times of severe persecutions, uh, he said, First uh, Corinthians 7, verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. If we were under a real strict period of persecutions, it would be tough if you had a wife and children, and you had to worry about them and what would become of them and how they would be treated and so forth. Whereas if you were a single man and you didn't have any dependents, you could be braver and just say, well, uh, whatever. And, you know, let, they can do whatever they want to to me. I'm, right. I'm taking a firm stand for the truth. Hopefully we'd take a firm stand for the truth no matter what. But it'd be harder if you had a wife and if you had children. And that's what Paul was saying there in 1 Corinthians 7. We live in a different time. It's much better for us to have a mate in this time. Paul said, even there in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, at verse 2, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. You know, we, we're we blessed, and actually it, it helps us dealing with, you know, temptations to have a mate, to have a companion. Uh, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 2, when God had created Adam, but he hadn't yet created Eve, he said it's not good for man to be alone. Marriage is a good thing. 
Uh, and so uh, with that idea in mind, I think Eric has an important question. What should I be thinking about in anticipation of marriage? Well, just from the instructions of Paul that you've given there, we learn one fundamental fact, is, and that is that marriage is a responsibility. I think Eric understands that. He's asking the question, uh, you know, what does he need to do to prepare for that? But uh, many, I'm afraid, don't see marriage as being a responsibility and a serious thing. Yeah, I think that's right. And you, in our day and time, people are entering into marriage with sort of a cavalier attitude that I've done work, so what? Big deal. I'll, right. just, I'll just get a divorce and I'll go find me somebody else. And that's certainly not in, not at all in line with the plan that God has for marriage as revealed in the Bible. What do you think about marriage? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. We'll make a, uh, a request of those in the audience who are married tonight. How would you answer Eric's question? Give us a call and uh, share your thoughts with preparation for marriage. How do you prepare? We look forward to hearing from you. We got an email from Chris in Atlanta. Chris is a faithful listener and participant in the he virtual does, Bible and study. We should say thanks to Chris. He's yeah. one of the more regular responders to your question. That's right. And he answers. He said several things to be aware of, but the most important is realizing that love is not some ooey gooey batting your eyes at each other. Uh, uh, it's not that sort of a feeling, he says. Love is work, and he references 1 Corinthians 13. That's a good observation. Which, of course, is a beautiful description of what true love is really like. And it's not something you just fall in. That's it's right. Something you it's work not, at it's not you... just you know love at first glance. It's not just some kind of chemistry that clicks. It's not, as Chris says, just a ooey-gooey feeling. The feelings are nice, he goes on, but he says there are going to be times when that feeling's not there. Both of you are stressed, in a crisis, or angry at each other, and how you handle these situations and act toward one another will be the true test of love. While going through all of this, and you still, uh, while going through all of this, and you still would choose to be with that person regardless, that is when you've discovered uh, love for a mate. Equally as important, ensure you both have similar life goals, as in where you want to live. Do you want children? Your beliefs in disciplining children. If you ground your marriage in God and pledge to stay within the boundaries of his word, then you will be fine in the end. I think there's a lot of good suggestions there in what Chris has to say. You know, when he talked about, Jacob, when he talked about having similar life goals, I would I would specify those life goals. We, uh, we need to be looking for someone who shares the goal of serving God, putting God first, being a faithful Christian. To me, I, I, I don't think there's one single bit of advice that you could give anyone that would be more important than that. I remember my grandmother, all the time I was a little boy growing up, when we would get ready to leave her house, she'd say, now you be a good boy, and you remember, you always remember, you marry a good Christian girl. And, that, and she was telling me that at a time when I still thought girls were yucky. You know, I wasn't interested in girls at all. But she knew the importance of that, and she drilled that into us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we can overstress that. Uh, you know, that's not to say that sometimes people, uh, Christians, sometimes do marry non-Christians. But I'm, as as a very, very uh, uh, good rule of thumb, you're way better off to marry a Christian because you share the same values. If you don't marry a Christian, you're playing with different playing out different rule books, and it makes it almost impossible. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeu.com or join in the chat room. John in the chat room says there are many areas, of course, but I would suggest that both of them are on the same page before they get married in commitment to God and to raising their family in the way of the Lord. Discuss and decided upon the hard uh, and expected situations by talking to much older couples. This can be scary, but is important. 
Okay. Ask for wisdom, as Eric is doing. So I appreciate Eric for that. Uh, Dean asks the question, does 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, imply that Christians should only marry other Christians? Your thoughts on that? Well, we'll, be, we'll open that up to everybody in the chat room to see what you think. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5 says, Paul was talking about himself. And he said, have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord in Cephas? Now, in, in, this, in this context, Paul was, uh, as he often had to do, defending his apostleship. He was, not a, he was not married at the time, although I think there's probably implication that he had been at some point in his past. Was not at this time, but he said he had that liberty to do that. But I, I, I know um, what... Dean is asking is he didn't say, do I not have the power to lead about a woman, a wife? He, he asked specifically, should I not be allowed to have a sister, a wife, a sister in Christ who is a wife? And, and some have concluded from that, that, uh, maybe that, that is specifying, spe- specifying authority exclusively for Christians to marry other Christians. Um, I I don't necessarily take it that way. I certainly understand that Paul is stating what his what his uh, action would be. Paul would not have taken other than a Christian for a wife. I'm sure he's that's implied in his statement. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see. First um, Corinthians chapter seven tells us it's not a sin to be married to a unchristian, yeah. a non-Christian, but it. That could be discussing the situation where the person was already married prior to becoming Christian. Yeah, I think that, that most people uh, argue that that was suggesting maybe a woman or a man, they were married before they became a Christian, right. they were converted and their mate was not, although the text doesn't say that. Uh, let's see, anybody got any Well, thought? Anthony's just chiming in and says First Corinthians 9 is a rhetorical passage from the start, so uh, Anthony's sort of thinks uh, not a blanket command for all Christians, he says. Okay. That's Anthony's view on it. Let's hear your thoughts. Uh, you can give us a call or join in the chat room. John in the chat room says, regarding 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, that is a very very vague, if it is true, uh, surely clarity would have been seen in other instructions. So John uh, thinks maybe that uh, it may be getting too much out of that statement uh, to use that as a, as a command. Well, uh, another verse that, that comes into that equation is 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, where it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Some people try to apply that to marriage. I don't think it exclusively applies to marriage. I think the verse says you should not be unequally yoked sure. with anybody in any relationship. Okay. That could be a business relationship or just a, a friendship relationship. Little League, uh, Cub Scouts, whatever. It could be marriage. You yeah. could be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever in marriage, but it wouldn't necessarily be so. Uh, I, I don't think that verse exclusively teaches that it's a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. One of the arguments that is sometimes made is if it teaches that and I did it, let's say it teaches that I should not be uh, married to an unbeliever, but I married one. How do you? Well, now what do I do? Yeah, how do you repent? How do you repent of that? Which And so that complication, which seems, seems to make it unworkable, uh, make it an unworkable position 
I think, argues against the idea that you could say it's categorically a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. All right. Uh, We need to take a break. But quickly, Sharon in South Carolina says, don't forget, you will not only be dealing with the spouse, but also his or her family. And that's a good uh, instruction. Uh, We can learn a lot about uh, what our spouse will be like uh, if we'll examine their family. Uh, They're they're typically... the apple doesn't fall far, far from the tree. Right. All right. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll get back uh, to the discussion on the other side. Uh, on the other side of the break, we'll get to Preston's question. He'll be joining us on the phone. Can we look for signs when we pray? Can we ask God? Can we set up a, maybe a situation for God and ask for a sign? It, it, it has been done, in the, by the way. Yeah. In the Old Testament, it Yeah, was we'll done. look at that. All right. So don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here are some quotes worth pondering. Be a building block, not a stumbling block. If you neglect another day, you have a day more to repent of and a day less to do it. Count your blessings, not your woes. Man, I wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. All right, we're back on the program tonight. We've got some new bumpers. Uh, we're trying out some. We're, we're getting tired a few, of A few new ads and a few new bumpers. We're trying to do some new stuff. <laughs> Those old records were getting worn out. The, the needle had almost cut clear through the oh, vinyl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, five years worth of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We're still using the other ones, but we got some new sound tonight, and so we're glad for that. Uh, we're talking about uh, various listener questions on the program tonight. It's an open forum, and so your question is welcome. Uh, give us a call, send us an email, join in the chat room with your question, but also join in with your comments as we talk about, uh, we'll finish up the question from Eric. He's wanting to know, Eric is in a serious relationship. He wants to know what he needs to do to get ready to be married. Well, well he, uh, he was, it, yeah. yeah it's, it's a great and important question, and, and uh, we read Chris's email. Uh, we got an email from Anthony on that, too. Yeah, Anthony in Columbia says uh, we could do a whole episode on the topic of getting ready for marriage and so forth. Uh, there is much advice given in the Bible and lots of advice from folks who have been there and done that. It has been said that most problems in marriage arise from money and sex, and that is definitely true. Be sure you are on the same page in both of these biblical areas. Make sure you talk about how you would raise children before you get married and definitely before you have children. Keep absolutely no secrets. Don't keep his money and her money. These uh, last two suggestions boil down to what Jesus taught. The two shall become one flesh. You will no longer be separate people. You must be united. Good thoughts, Anthony. In the chat room, Danny says, ask someone who did not marry a Christian to tell how it all worked out. Sharon replies, I'm not married to a Christian, and goes and she goes on to say, uh, reality sets in when the children come along. Uh, John adds, in my experience, I've seen several Christians marry non-Christians and ended up converting them. I've also seen 
Christians marry Christians and end up in divorce. You truly never know when you get married how things will go. And I would agree with that. Well, in in a in a sense, but I, I, you want you want to stack the deck as strongly in your favor as you possibly can. And so you you got to say that you're in a way better shape and your potential is way higher for success if you marry a Christian. Again, I'm not of the position that it's wrong for a Christian to marry a non-Christian, but I think it, that I, I had an email correspondence with a lady a, a while back, and she, w- she was married for the second time. She had married a non-Christian, divorced. She'd married again a man who was not a Christian, and, and now her son was coming up to dating age. And, you know, she, she I, I simply asked her, she was... Uh, you know, questioning about whether it was right to be married to non-Christian or not. And I, I've tried to make the same points to her, but I said, what are you going to tell your son? From your own experience, what would you have your own son do, marry a Christian or not a Christian? And and I think that kind of answers pretty uh, easily. Again, these are not uh, hard and fast rules. You, you're, these are practical advice that you're giving here. It's, you're, not, uh, you're not making a law, but you're saying that it, yeah. it, it, it is good judgment. Yeah. And you, I guess, bottom line, if we kind of summarize what we want to tell Eric, you got to look for the character of the person. Uh, you know, you might date a person who's not a Christian, but during the time that you're dating them, you want to expose them to God's truth and see how they react to it. That's going to tell something about their character. If you expose them to God's truth, but they're not interested in it and they don't, they don't have a tender heart for the things of God, that should be a huge warning flag. So really look for the character of the person you're marrying and and. And be perceptive to that. You know, in the, in, in the, in the time of, of uh, romantic passion, it's sometimes hard to be wise enough to look deeply at the character of the person that you're talking to or dealing with. But you need to do that. I, I worked with a guy once who said, uh, uh, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes clear to the bone. <laughs> well, I don't think Not it's talking about he, physical ugly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, the, beauty is skin deep, but character Right. From the inner person is what really matters, right. and that's what we need to pay attention to. All right. Well, we appreciate Eric's question tonight, and we certainly just barely scratched the surface if we did that with this question, but we appreciate his concern and his understanding of the seriousness of marriage and making sure he wants to be prepared, and so we appreciate that. And as has been suggested uh, numerous times tonight, uh, good to talk to someone who's older and ask for their advice. I would encourage Eric to do that. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Preston in Georgia tonight. He says, I have a question, and it may be a good question to do on the virtual Bible study. Is a non-miraculous version of Gideon's prayer or a type of casting of lots an acceptable form of answered prayer? It's basically looking for answer for a prayer in a different way like Gideon did, but not in a miraculous way. For example, I wanted to pick a mate but didn't know if I should continue pursuing a specific girl then I could pray that if a certain thing happens between the two of us, that it would be answer one way or another. Does that make sense? And so he wants to get some thoughts, and he joins us on the phone tonight. Preston, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Hey, Jacob, how are you? Good. We appreciate you sending in your question, and we appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, give us a little explanation of what you're looking for there. Yeah, I think you said it pretty good. I mean, <clears throat> we see the example of Gideon and how he... And though it, his the nature of his prayer was much more miraculous than what I'm really talking about. I mean, he asked for a specific thing to know whether it was God talking to him. I believe if that, okay. the story, if I'm remember the story right. And uh, so it's kind of the same idea. I mean, if I use a woman as an example, but it could be anything. Maybe a job. Yeah, a moving job, somewhere. If I, yeah, if I if. I was to get a job, well, then, well, 
uh, you know, it, it, it would help you decide about something that's related to that or uh, all right, so Preston, what you're saying basically, I'm, I'm coming up on an important life decision. It could be about a mate, it could be about a job, where to live, maybe what uh, what church, what congregation to attend, or other really important kind of decisions that we have to make from time to time. And your your question is, would it be reasonable to put some kind of qualifier out there just or to, scenario or scenario? You're praying to God and you say, God, if this is what you want me to do. Then do this. You know, what do you think about this? Let us know your thoughts. You can join in and, and talk with Preston, 877-381-4567. I uh, look forward to hearing from you. Uh, I, I think the first thing that you mentioned uh, uh, in your email, Preston, was that we, we understand that we're not in the age of miracles. Right. Now, and, and we're not in the age in which God provides direct miraculous revelation to mankind. And that would make our case different than Gideon's, for instance. The, the story of Gideon is uh, in Judges chapter 6 and following. And we remember God had already spoken. God had miraculously spoken to Gideon, and he'd already told him to tear down his father's idol and so forth. And Gideon had done some things. Now God wants Gideon to lead men into battle. And Gideon asked for a sign, and it had to do with putting a fleece on the ground. One time the ground around the fleece was dry. And the fleece was wet, and the other time the fleece was wet and the ground around it was dry. He asked for this to be repeated twice. I can never remember the order of that. But uh, that that was the sign that Gideon asked for. But as you said, Preston, that was in a time of miracles. And so we couldn't expect something of that nature to happen today. And I, I, I know you agree with that already, right? Right. Um, My thoughts on it are um, we have to have faith when we pray. We have to have faith that God will answer our prayer. In James chapter 1, uh, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So if I can't pray it in faith, Dad, and have confidence that, uh, that God will answer the prayer, then uh, there's no use praying it. you agree with that? Right. Yeah, that's right. No use praying about it. If you don't think that God answers prayer, you're just wasting your breath. Now, I can combine that with Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and uh, I, where I get that faith that allows my faith, my prayers to be heard is from the Word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if I can't find instruction for it in the dispensation that I live in today, then there's no way I can pray by faith. And so I can maybe set the scenario up, but how can I pray that in faith and expect God to hear it? So we believe that God answers prayer, but we got we can't be putting conditions on prayer that wouldn't be in harmony with what we know of prayer, you're saying, in the New right. Testament. Right. right. Um, uh, here's another Old Testament example. Uh, uh, Dean suggests the example of how Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was chosen. Remember, Abraham sent his servant, and and he went back to Abraham's homeland, to his kinfolk, and he prayed a prayer. You know, he was at a well and he said in Genesis chapter 24, verse 14, if it come to pa- let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. That's a good uh, reference there, Dean. Yeah, yeah, Dean, thanks for that reference. I think that's another example of that sort of thing. But, again, we have to remember that that was in an era when God was dealing with people directly, one-on-one, instead of through a finished written revelation as we have today. And so 
While those kind of examples exist in in the Scripture, I'm like you, Jacob. I don't think we can read in the New Testament that that kind of methodology is appropriate. Well, Dean might think that it would be, though. He says nothing miraculous there, but seems that God clearly had a hand in it. So maybe Dean's yeah. suggesting that we could uh, do the same today. Well, the only thing, the only difference is we were in a, that was in a, in a time when God was directly dealing with people one on one, and even producing miraculous revelations to them by way of. Uh, visions and dreams and messages of one sort and another. So I, I, I have a little trouble here. Okay. Okay. Dean says he doesn't think God deals with us that way today. John says we normally group these types of events within the providence of God. Although God can do what he desires, I'm not sure the New Testament offers any teachings that would allow us to say, God, show me a sign, even if it's a non-miraculous sign. Yeah. Uh, Here's Preston, the you, I think we interrupted Preston. Go ahead, Preston. Answer. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what I was trying to say is here you have, we understand the providence of God. And though when we read the Bible, there's not like a, a, a in-depth explanation of, well, here's the providence of God and this is how it works. But we can kind of see examples and we see some verses that kind of, kind of explain it. But ultimately, it's the providence of God. And, and I guess that's kind of where the question is really based is, yeah. Here you have the providence of God, and though it's not necessarily miraculous, here you uh, have a situation, and you really don't know how to make a decision about the about this thing. But if it, if the, if the situation plays out a certain way, then it helps you answer the question. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I hey, think I think you're right to say that definitely you need to use wisdom, and this isn't this the question isn't getting rid of the wisdom. It's just kind of like saying, well, this will help me know which way yeah. is better. There's a little more to say about this, Preston. Let us take a break. Can you hang on the line just a little bit longer? Sure. Okay, All right. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we want to wrap up this discussion with Preston. Time to, for you to get your discussion in, though. If you'd like to join in the, the discussion and you have some thoughts about this, the best way to get those thoughts heard is to give us a call toll-free, 877-381-4567. Email your thoughts to questions at collegeview.com. The chat room is very busy tonight. Uh, you can join in with other listeners there. If you're not logged in, use the instructions at the bottom of the chat window be a part of that discussion tonight. We're going to take a break, get this week's bullet point, and we continue the discussion. Preston will stay on the line, and we'll talk to him on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Birds and bats, bees and butterflies. These are but a few of Earth's creatures that possess extraordinary navigational skills. How does a bird know the proper route to follow on its migrations north and south? How can a bee find its way back to the hive and then return again with other helpers to the nectar-rich flower patch just discovered? Such accomplishments have long puzzled the scientists that study such things. An article in National Geographic describes research that has been undertaken to discover the answer to these mysteries. The conclusions are amazing. Birds, for instance, have been shown to, quote, use the sun as a compass together with an internal clock that compensates for the sun's changing position in the sky. And then there's the honeybees, which, quote, employ special cells in their compound eyes to recognize patterns of polarized light, which enable them to determine the location of the sun, even if it is obscured by clouds. Desert ants, we are told, tell distances by counting steps from one location to another. Spawning salmon travel thousands of miles to return to the very section of river where they were born. Scientists agree that they, quote, locate home streams by smell, imprinting on the odors from soil and vegetation. Other fish navigate in murky waters by generating an electric field and then sensing their, quote, environment through fluctuations in electric current. Some insects are known to determine direction and location by sensing, quote, magnetic fields through specialized photoreceptors in their eyes. 
All this staggers the imagination. The complexities of nature are incredible. But even more amazing is the fact that there are so many people who believe that this all came about by random chance as living creatures evolved from lower life forms. How can it be so? Who can believe it? Faith in a living, all-powerful God is a much more reasonable explanation. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. We appreciate you for being on the other end of the line. We're having an open forum in which we can take your question, but we look forward to your answers to questions that our listeners have submitted as well. Along those lines, we're talking with uh, Preston tonight in Georgia. His question is, uh, can we ask for a sign today? Can, not, not a miraculous sign, but maybe put up a scenario before God. Say, God, if uh, you want me to do this, um, I don't know, make it rain tomorrow. Chris in Atlanta says, I don't believe that is wise. As we know, miracles have ceased. If you feel that you are compatible and willing to stick by each other, talking about picking a mate, regardless of what life throws at you, and if you study the Word and decide to love and treat your wife as the Bible teaches, then you should be able to reach a godly conclusion to your question without calling on a miracle to prove it. And I know Preston's not calling on a miracle, but but he's saying that, that he, in his judgment, is not a, not a wise thing. Okay. You know, I might relate a, a story uh, that a friend told me not long ago. This friend was, by her own admission, mistakenly a cheerleader in high school. She mm-hmm. realizes now it was wrong for her to do. She was a Christian, mm-hmm. but she was she she was on the cheerleading squad in high school and realizes she shouldn't have been. Now at this point, but she said, "You know what I did?" She said, "I prayed that if God, if it was okay with God for me to be on the cheerleading team, if I made it." Then that was a sign. Then that was a sign that God was okay with it for me to be on the cheerleading team. All right. Well, you know that's obviously flawed, and she and she agrees obviously that it's flawed now. You know there are other forces at work besides God bringing these things to pass. You know that could sure. be Satan uh, accomplishing that outcome as well. And so you know looking for some kind of sub, sub subjective sign is really dangerous. You know I could say. Uh, if the sun comes up in the east tomorrow, then that'll be a sign I'm supposed to do this or that. You know, I, I could stage the sign in such a way that I could make it come out the way I wanted. Oh, I, I see that. You see that, Preston? Maybe you could uh, maybe you could set up your scenario to be where the odds are in your favor for the decision you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can even give you a, a scenario um, that I had thought about. Imagine someone who, and I, I had used a, a relationship in the email and I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on that. If, I, if, for example, if I had a, a female uh, interest, and I, and I prayed to God, if you wanted, if if this is the woman you want me to have, then make it blatantly obvious. But if it's not, make it blatantly obvious that I don't need to be with her. And that's basically and, a prayer for wisdom, don't you think, uh, Preston? I, 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 Matt, looking back. And kind of pondering it, I think you're right. I think it ultimately is. A and, and you know, for we're wisdom. we're commanded to pray for wisdom in James chapter one, exactly. uh, James chapter one verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So it's it's certainly appropriate to ask for wisdom. And I think that statement that you just made is, God, make it obvious to me. That, that's basically a request for wisdom give, to make the right decision. Wisdom. Uh, Kevin says, uh, any of us would want a direct revelation speaking from the fleshly perspective, and a direct specifically answered request to God would be like that. Uh, 
And Dean says, I think those things would, may fall under the diverse ways God spoke to his people in the times past, referring to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But I see nothing to suggest he deals with us in those ways today. Anthony says, I really focus on James 1, 5 through 8. If we have faith and trust that God can do what we ask of him, he will answer us one way or another. I think too often we doubt God's ability to do the things we pray for. Uh, Paul says it may be good for us to pray for God to help us see the right path. John says the best approach may be this. Pray to God, then do your best to make a decision using godly principles established in his word, keeping your thoughts on things above, not on things below, Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to miss some of these. But uh, Paul says God in his providence may remove some of the choices for us when we pray for wisdom and guidance without saying if ABC happens, then I know this is right. So maybe God helps us. who is providence make uh, the decision more clear for us. Um, so I think we're coming around to the same. Uh, I think I think we're here. pretty much in agreement yeah. here. Uh, Anthony in an email said, "I know of no New Testament teaching of which I'm aware that suggests God gives direct signs to individuals as a way of showing His approval. In fact, Jesus often criticized those who asked for a sign. We do have examples of the apostles receiving signs, such as at the end of Acts one." But this was within the age of miracles, and they were divinely chosen apostles. Again, there's no scripture of which I'm aware that suggests that God gives signs of this type today. My personal advice would be if you're waiting for a sign from God, you are with the wrong person. Uh, You should just know that this is your soulmate. If you're questioning it, then this is not the person you should be marrying. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good advice. I, I think in our heart of hearts, we know if we're a Christian and we're grounded in godly principles in our lives, we we pretty well know whether that person we're thinking of as a mate, for instance, shares those same ideals. And if they don't, then you got to be you got to be ready. John says, my great grandfather became a Baptist preacher when upon contemplation while in a boat, a solar eclipse occurred. Many approach decisions with this mentality. So. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately yeah. and I think John is saying his grandfather was obviously off base. You knew, when he made a, that you knew someone who had a, who believed that they saw had a sign from God that they should get an unscriptural divorce from their man. Yeah, I, I studied with a man one time, and uh, he was having trouble in his marriage, and he didn't know what to do. And he stepped out of his house, and there were two two doves sitting on the power line that came into his house from the street. Huh? And while he watched, he says one of those doves up and flew away, and the other one stayed. And he knew it was, he said he knew it was a sign from God that he was supposed to get a divorce. <laughs> I, I don't know. There you uh, well, go. We know, but we what I'm saying is, if you if you allow yourself to use subjective reasoning like that, you can go anywhere, and usually the wrong yeah. way. Amen to that. Preston, you you got any final thoughts? No, I, I think that uh, the question is well answered, and I, I think that uh, it makes total sense, and I, I fully agree with that. I I have heard people say something about how you know you could cast a lot, and that would be a good way of making a decision that you might not know what to do. And so I guess that's, I was kind of like, I don't know, I've never heard that before, and it was kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around it, so that's why I asked the question. Well, we appreciate the question, uh, Preston, and it's a worthy one. It's a worthy one. It's It, it deserves discussion, and, uh, and I would commend you for thinking along the lines of that you want to make the right choice. Uh, the, there's, there's not a more important decision uh, than who we marry. They're crying foul in the chat room about your dove story. Oh, crying about, <laughs> about the dove. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, well, Preston, it is an important decision picking to make, but a lot of decisions we have to make in our life. And uh, we do have, I have great comfort in the fact that we can pray for wisdom, uh, Preston, Amen. and God has promised that he will answer our prayers. Amen. All right. Hang in there, brother. We appreciate you. 
All right. Appreciate y'all, too. Y'all keep preaching on now. Thank you, Preston. Bye-bye. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Let's go ahead and take our last break, Jacob, and when we get back, we'll take the last couple of questions on the kingdom and the rapture. We may have to deal with the rapture uh, just using what the Scripture teaches about it. That might help us get through faster. Yeah, we can can handle what the Scripture (laughs) teaches about the rapture pretty fast. All right, we'll take a break and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. We already heard that one. That's all right. Yeah, that's fine. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Uh, we had a little rerun there. They're so good, we have to rerun them. Yeah, we'll use Anthony bumpers tonight. Yeah, um, that's Anthony. He's in the chat room tonight if you want to talk with him. 877-381-4567. We'd love to take your question if you give us a call now. We're talking uh, on an open forum tonight. Any question goes. Real quick, we go to our next question. from list- We're just dealing with listener questions tonight. David asks, is there a difference between the kingdom of God and between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. Uh, interesting question. And uh, Chris says, is he referring to Ephesians 5, 5? Uh, yes. If so, he says, I don't think there is a difference. And I agree. I had put that verse down in my notes as well. Ephesians 5, verse 5 says, This ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It's called the kingdom of Christ and of God. To me, it's just sort of like, you know, when we talk to the grandkids, Jacob, we say, are you going to come to Papa's house? Or we might say, are you going to come to Grandma's house? There's no difference. You could say, are you coming to Papa and Grandma's house? Those things are all synonymous, and it's it's, it's the same. I I found uh, uh, in the New Testament 76 references to the kingdom of God. Uh, Only a few times is it referred to as the kingdom of Christ. But look at... uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 31. In Acts chapter 28, verse 31, uh, Paul, as he was under house arrest in Rome, it says he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's the kingdom of God, but Jesus is Lord in that kingdom. I, I, I don't see. It doesn't seem to me that there's any distinction there in in the way that that's used. All right, I, I like your explanation. Um, Anthony says there's no no uh, difference that he can tell. He's looking forward to the discussion tonight. So uh, our comments, are, I think, are in line with what you've said. Anything uh, in we the chat room? Anything. Uh, uh, you could say John says you could say that God gave Jesus authority to reign over His kingdom. Jesus says at the right hand of God and will reign until He's put the last enemy under His feet. First Corinthians chapter 15. 
And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe it is, that uh, while Christ has all authority, God is accepted from that. And so God still has authority over Christ. And so, uh, in effect, you could say that they're both ruling over the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. T- talking about Christ. So Christ has the kingdom. He has authority in the kingdom. He's going to deliver that kingdom up to God. Uh, when he has put down all rule and all authority and power, he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Uh, so in verse 27, but he that hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifested that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. So yeah. God is reigning as has authority over Christ and Christ has authority over the kingdom. Right. Okay. So uh, I, I think that's the right answer. I don't, I don't know any place. And I don't know if, if David has come up, against some argument that there's a distinction between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God, and someone's trying to make an argument based upon a, a, some kind of distinction that they see there. I don't see the distinction. So if anybody knows of, of some doctrine out there that it hinges upon making a delineation between those two, uh, you might you might inform us. I'm not informed of that. I don't know that that there is such a doctrine, and I don't see any difference between those two. All right. John says this may be similar to the idea of us standing before the judgment seat of God, yet being judged by Jesus and his word. Right. Okay. That's, that, that does go along with the uh, the picture of authority that we have there. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, one article I found uh, suggested that there's a difference between, usually, most often in the New Testament, the kingdom, Christ's kingdom is is synonymous with the church in the present age. Uh, but there is a, there is the expression kingdom uh, of heaven, which refers to the eternal abode. Okay. abode. In Acts 14, verse 22, Paul cr- uh, cautioned Christians that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, uh, Acts 14, 22. And there's talking about entering into heaven. It's talking to Christians who are already in the kingdom of Christ. But we are to enter the kingdom of God. We have to pass through many tribulations to enter into the kingdom of God. The eternal heavenly abode is what Paul has under discussion there. So when you read the word kingdom, that's one of those things that you have to allow the context to tell you uh, what's under consideration at that time. You know, someone used the illustration. If someone said, I'm really happy with my new bridge. What's he talking about? <laughs> is he talking about? Did he has has he got a little creek that he has to pass over to get up to his house, and he built a new bridge over his creek? Somebody who's holding the Golden Gate Bridge, or is is he talking about a new piece of dental work that he got? <laughs> you know, you got to you got to have the context to yeah. know. And, yeah. and and in re, in reference to these usages of the kingdom, we need right. context. Okay. All right. We appreciate that uh, discussion. And uh, David, if you have any other thoughts, and maybe we didn't answer your question as you intended it, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We've got one more question to take, and, um, well, we could just end the program now because the Scriptures say nothing about the next question. Yeah, the the next question came from uh, Vaughn, who asked us to do uh, or to make some comments on the word rapture. Good to hear from Vaughn. He's from Winter Haven, Florida. We've heard from him for for several years now. Good to hear yeah. from him again. Uh, and he uh, said he'd been talking with a friend from college days, uh, who's a big fan of Jack Van Impey, the televangelist. Uh, and, uh, you know, he he 
very into this idea of the rapture and all that's associated with that. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about end time things, and uh, we uh, showed a chart. And I don't know if you can get Jeff. You got a chance. You got to get Jeff's got to get the phone. It's, phone it's, uh, the, no, the chart. The chart's up. You're good. The chart up. Let Jeff. it roll. Let okay. it roll. Uh, let me quickly def- describe premillennial theory from that chart that you see on your screen right now. Uh, What is believed to be coming is the rapture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people who anticipate the rapture says it's going to happen pretty soon. And all the righteous people are going to be caught away instantaneously, be called to go to be with the Lord. Right. And then on earth is going to be a period of seven years of terrible tribulation. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, as we mentioned recently, the Left Behind series of books and movies is based upon the idea of the rapture having taken place and those who are left behind, what will happen to them. So the the righteous people will be called away in the rapture, and then there will be this period of terrible tribulation for seven years. At the end of that seven years, the Lord's going to return with his saints, with the holy angels. He's going to fight the combined forces of evil in the great battle of Armageddon, uh, Christ will be victorious, and at that time, he will establish his kingdom, a kingdom not yet in existence. He wasn't able to get it in existence when he came the first time because the Jews rejected him. He put the church in, in, uh, in place instead. But at the end of that seven years of tribulation, after the rapture has occurred, the Lord's going to win the battle of Armageddon. He's going to set up his earthly kingdom. He's going to reign on David's restored throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, a peaceful reign here on earth, at the end of the thousand years will be final judgment. Uh, that, in a nutshell, is the general theory of premillennialism. Most everybody who believes it has a little bit different take on it. But you see where the rapture fits into that premillennial theory. And Kevin summarizes it for us very uh, succinctly in the chat room tonight. He says, rapture equals not a Bible word. Yeah. And that uh, we can't find the word in the Bible. That's right. It's, it is not. And, of course... The whole theory of premillennialism is built on the false premise that Jesus was not able to establish his kingdom as he intended to do when he came the first time, which to me is a blasphemous thought in itself to think that the eternal God could not accomplish his purposes, that mortal men could prevent him from doing what he intended to do. But in Colossians uh, chapter 1, the apostle Paul says at verse 13 that he... that. The Father, he gives thanks, verse 12, to the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. light. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Notice the past tense. Paul, speaking in the first century, said, we have already been translated into the kingdom of Christ. So the kingdom was in existence. We're not waiting for the kingdom to come along. Uh, It's already in existence. And by the way, talking about things already happening in Romans, excuse me, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John says, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So he was in the kingdom and tribulation was already underway. We're not waiting for any of that stuff to happen. All right. And the word rapture is not found anywhere in the New Testament. If that word is simply not in the scriptures. The closest thing that we have to anything like a discussion of rapture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
Beginning verse 13, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There it talks about the righteous being called to meet the Lord in the air, but it never says anything about them coming back to join in the great battle of Armageddon. It just simply isn't in there. All right. It's simply not there. We're going to go to the phones quickly and uh, welcome. Uh, we don't know who the caller is. Caller, can you identify yourself? I'm Steve hey, from uh, Dallas, Georgia. Hey, Steve. Uh, thanks for calling us tonight. Hey, uh, I'd like to weigh in on the, on the word rapture. Uh, the word harpazo is, is the word for caught up uh, that you, you were mentioning in First Thessalonians. About in the 5th century, I think it was Jerome who translated the scriptures into Latin. And when he translated that word, it was rapturo. Rapturo was anglicized. Uh, it's the same word as harpazo, but it was anglicized to rapture. Out of the Latin. So the word is not found, but, but the, the etymology traces itself back to... Um, you know, an idea that Paul understood. Okay, all right. But now, uh, let me let me see if I understand you. Uh, you're not suggesting, are you, Steve, that the the modern day concept of the rapture is in that text? Yes, I do. You believe I, that I it do is? I to believe that. I think there are many, many examples in in the uh, Bible that uh, validate the, okay. the rapture. All right, give us a give us catch, a catching up is is. Well, we're almost out of time, but can you give us a, a, we need a real quick thumbnail sketch. You say there's many, many. Okay. Give, give okay. us your best uh, argument. In, Steve, Jesus give us. said it would be like the days of Noah before the flood, and before the flood, we, we have three distinct groups of people. The majority uh, perished, a few were brought safely through, and one was, was translated up without ever dying, and that, of course, was Enoch in the fifth chapter. Uh, Enoch represents for us a, a picture of the way it's going to be at the end time. Many of the people on earth are going to die. A few are going to come through. And one body is going to be taken up. It's those who walk with the Lord. And What about the animals? I'm going to have to put them down. And what about uh, what about some of the animals in the ark? Does that mean there's going to be dogs in heaven? I mean, uh, Steve, how far do we take the imagery here? Steve, the fact no, 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 that the ark. Steve, hang on a minute. Steve, Steve, hang on a minute. Steve, you got to hang on. Let me make a comment here. I think you're really mis you're really abusing Matthew 24 that talks about the days of Noah. Uh, Enoch is not in that text. Enoch was translated hundreds of years before the flood of Noah. And that, that is not in the text of Matthew 24. That does not teach the concept of the rapture. And, and that's... It's in the days of Noah. It's not in the time frame from creation to Noah is what you're saying. You're well, saying it's, it's in it's, the days it, of Noah. That's right. And it, and it talks about the events immediately leading up to the flood. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Matthew 24, verse 38. And, and it is a, a far stretch 
of the text, I mean, a misuse and abuse of the text to say that that has anything to do with Enoch and that Enoch is in that picture at all and that Enoch is anything. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that Enoch is any kind of a type or a shadow of what could happen to us in the end time. Well, Lot, Lot is another example. Jesus used Lot as an example that, that he had to be taken out. The angels had to forcibly take him out of the city before they could destroy the city. What's your reference on that passage? Um, let's see here. Um, Lot. I believe it's uh, Genesis 19. No, but what's your reference? What, where does Jesus, where does Jesus suggest that Lot is a type of anything that pertains to us? Well, Jesus said, uh, but on that day that Lot went out from Sodom and rained fire and brimstone from heaven. Well, let me back up. Uh, what's, your, what's your reference there? Um, well, Right now I'm reading from Luke 17:26 through 30. It says, uh, just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking. Okay, we got that part. And, and in verse 28, he says, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. Going back to Genesis 19, they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from, the, from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. And it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Remember Lot's wife. So at the time that the Son of Man is to be revealed, uh, it will be just the same. Yeah, it will be the same. God will send a horrible judgment against those who are not prepared at the Lord's return. And I think this one man, Lot, is... is no, it, it, no, no Steve, what it's suggesting the there is that he's going to save that those who will be saved in that day will be a, just a fraction of those who will be lost. And at the same day where you believe the rapture will occur, it will rain fire and brimstone. There's going to be a judgment that day, and that does not fit with the rapture belief where the, the, the wicked just... Yeah, yeah the, rapture, the rapture theory has the rapture happening a thousand and seven years before, before the, the final judgment. So I don't think it works, well, Steve, but we're out of time. Yeah, I haven't believe in two resurrections. Uh, okay, well, and, and if, if you don't well, wait, understand that there are two resurrections, uh, well, well, that'll have to be a discussion for another night. We're out of time, years, Steve. Then it, it becomes difficult to make a case. Okay, right, well, we'll have to make that a discussion for another night because we're out of time. Thanks for calling, Steve. Okay, thank, thank you. you. All right, we're out of time, uh, and uh, it has been a good discussion, a good open forum tonight. Jeff's been behind the controls, done a good job. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. And, uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the program. We hope you benefited from our discussion tonight. If you have any questions or comments, send us, a, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.